well, well. Santa is in the house. Thanks for everyone for having me. You are very welcome. How on earth does one become war Santa in Ukraine? Uh, well, to be very honest, the whole moniker they go by war Santa is actually about taking cowboy boots to one of our, our guys out there. They got wounded. He, uh, he looks up and was a battle buddy to my college best friend who's from East Texas and always wears his cowboy boots, which is a rarity, you know, in Ukraine. And so I was like, Oh look, I'm taking gear. I was sorry. I'm taking a, a gifts along with the gear on this, this run. And so I was like, it's kind of like I'm Santa Claus. And I was like, wait a minute, that's a great name War Santa. I'll just, I'll just keep that. But it's, it's more of a personal thing um, than um, anything that's uh, meant to be, you know, bigger than life. Yeah, but then again, it is a good moniker, isn't it? Especially if and when the stuff you do, uh, going in between the units and making sure that uh, your battle buddies have the kit they need. It sometimes is better not to be named, is it? Um, to be quite honest, I think it's the, the best thing that anyone can do is, is to not necessarily use their name because once you use your name, um, let's just say that your name is John, I'm going to pick on John Rambo, right? You know, you have to live up to what other people prop that, uh, that idea of you into that. And, and a lot of times, like, you know, there's insecurities, there's other things, there's struggles. It, it's not easy doing, taking equipment everywhere. And there's expectations that are put on you. Well, when with me with War Santa, I can let go of the idea of War Santa. And I could just be my, you know, my regular name, my the my the regular person that I am. And and it, it helps me mentally and as well. Um, you know, there's the term, you know, uh, feeling small, playing big. Uh, and, and whenever I'm looking at what I'm actually accomplishing, and and I'll look at it as like, okay, well, what would War Santa do, or what you know. I got to keep working at it uh, to to meet the objectives that that I have laid out in front of me, and it helps kind of give me that um, tricking my mind into uh, into playing big, even if you know all of us as individuals, you know, we're we're, we're one small thing. And it is, uh, if I may highlight, it is not a small thing what you're doing. Well, I mean, yeah, it's true, but I, I just don't I don't see it about. About myself, I, I worry more about the guys that are out there, um, you know, doing the job, defending Ukraine and pushing back against this this aggression. Absolutely. So, what what motivated you going there? How did this all happen? Um. So, when this, you know, the second part of this war kicked off in twenty twenty two, I was sitting in Florida and uh, talking to another guy that I had served with. Um, we, you know, both of us being in intelligence. And um, I was like, wait a minute, I have a friend that lives in Keys. you know, this is actually how I got my dog, long story on that one. Um, but, uh, and I, you know, went on Instagram and he had videos up without equipment and he all, all he had was this like old, you know, 1970s Kalashnikov. He's actually listening in right now. Um, and I asked him where, what gear he had and he was like, I, dude, I don't have anything. And it was one of those, you know, if I can at least get to the border of, of Ukraine to get you this kit, um, uh, will you be able to get it? And at the time, they were falling back to Lviv before they were going to go back up to Kiev. And um, and uh, it was one of those hold my beer moments, I guess you could say. Think of like the, the movie The Greatest Beer Run, 
Um, I drove back from, from Florida to Texas, hopped on a flight, um, grabbed about twelve to $14,000 worth of kit, not just for him, but for other people. We're talking body armor scopes, rails, um, spotting scopes, you name it. Um, some medical stuff. Um, some first, a lot of first aid was, was given to me by one of my clients. Um, and, um, I landed in Warsaw March 9th and I made it to the border. I even tried to take a rental car through the border, which obviously didn't work. Um, cause I was determined to make sure that my gear got to, got to my guy. And, um, we were able to put it on a vehicle, um, that was headed out there. Um, that was owned by a, uh, a Brit that was living in Switzerland, I believe, um, who was doing runs as well. And so, um, was able to get it to them and, uh, they were, they went back out to the front, like I think the next day. Um, but at least I think six people were able to get kitted out through that endeavor. Um, and so that's where it started. It was instant success, literally. I mean, you decided, you moved, you went there, you crossed the border, you got there and you delivered the kit. <laughs> Well, the first time I didn't get across the border because I was trying to take a rental car through and they warned me, do not leave that rental car <laughs> um, outside of the or like in, in Krakow or anywhere else because it's probably going to get stolen um, right now. Um, and uh, so I stayed with the rental car. Um, but then I went back in April, went all the way to Kiev, and then I went back in May and then I went back in July slash August, and then I just got back probably about three and a half weeks ago from Ukraine again. So when you went to Kiev in April, this is at a point in time the Russian troops have been beaten already out of Kiev, quite literally, or close close to Kiev. Um, the first liberated um, villages and uh, towns um, showed what kind of atrocities were ongoing. You could see that this brutal war would become uh, pretty much a torn and drawn out affair and that would be pretty intense. How did you see this? How did, how did it impact you last year in April? Well, to be honest, um, in April, I was in Kiev, but we didn't get to go all the way up uh, to Butra or, or Penn or anything else like that. Um, my, my friend was able to actually get off the front for a while. They had been, um, then by that time there's actually him and another individual named Manus. Um, Manus had to stay, uh, with the units, but, um, they had, they had been North of Kiev fighting and then they had moved, um, to the Northeast, I believe. Um, and that's where they, they were located that, uh, time. But, you know, when I was in Kiev and I was uh, meeting other people because I started taking equipment for others and I was learning from them more about what um, they had gone through or, you know, their friends had gone through um, or family members, actually. Um, you got a sense of that this is going to be a very long, drawn out thing. It, it, it kind of didn't fully resemble, but we had the idea that this could be another like Chechen war where. Uh, Russia gets beat a little bit, but then they, you know, just scorched earth policy, just about a zero sum type of policy. And that's obviously what we're seeing now. With the notable exception that they don't have the territory as much as they had in Grozny, if I may say so. Uh, albeit that Mariupol right. looks worse than Grozny did. But, okay. Right, right. Well, okay, so that, that was April. Then uh, things moved a lot, and throughout the summer, uh, Ukraine prepared, fought, fought valiantly, uh, reclaimed territory here and there, managed to defend. Um, 
how did this, I mean, occur for you? I mean, you obviously had to go back to the US from time to time. So uh, how, how did this all go? How did this say, impact your life going back to sort of say a peaceful life on the one hand and then being in Ukraine for quite some time? Uh, this is being, you know, one foot here, one foot there. How, how did that work for you? So um, I would say that it, it actually really took over my life um, because I started moving, you know, at first it was body armor, scopes, rails, the harder to get equipment, you know, I wasn't necessarily worried um, about like camelbacks, even though I brought some, you know, I was, I was more worried about equipping the warfighter more properly on stuff that he actually needed to give him a little bit of a leg up or a force multiplier, you know, depending on what the Russians were using. Um, so I started taking more specialized equipment. Um, but you know, it's, it's not just sitting here and buying equipment. Um, that's hard to get in Europe and then and taking it over. It's, it's trying to find the funding. It's trying to, um, get all get all the requests get everything in on time because it's a lot will get shipped i'm taking around uh anywhere it, earlier on i was thinking around 250 pounds this is now increased to just over. i just took over 300 pounds worth of like very hard to get equipment um i'm out i'm close to two hundred thousand dollars i've brought into the country um that doesn't mean donate it just means i've, I've dragged it on my back um but um it, it, it takes over and to, to get a really good gear run, that's going to make a difference. It takes about a month in preparation. So it was back to back to back. And then I had a little bit of a gap. And then um, during the summer, um, then I went out there uh, to the, had multiple drops Then I made it to the GFL, you know, helped create with the help of uh, uh, Ryan of UAO, um, helped create their night vision division out there. Um, and uh, it's, it's a lot of preparation. Um, I took a pause uh, for a minute. It just got it, it got to be a lot because I still have my job. Um, I'm in wealth management for the past nine years, nine and a half years. Um, but uh, you know, this past trip, it probably probably was about a month, month and a half uh, spinning up, um, getting all the donations in, getting everything that we were doing in terms of working with other organizations, not just ourselves, and successfully brought in uh, about $60,000 worth of equipment. Um, a lot of, a lot of nods, um, a lot of met, a lot of medical stuff. Um, and then I'm trying to think what else. Oh, uh, a lot of P mags, um, and 185 P mags to be exact. And if people don't understand why P mags are extremely important, um, not all the magazines out there in Ukraine that you can actually buy, at triple the price fit your rifle correctly and you have to get them machined. And, um, and so I, I took 185 officially for the third battalion. Um, but that was a lot because I was buying out, um, supplies from a lot of these manufacturers. Then you have to work with the paperwork and that takes a while to get anything submitted and proved and, and done. It's, it's just, it's a really big, um, hassle, um, to, you know, not just simply booking your flight, buying it, and going. It, it really does take a huge lead up. So, Axel, let me so, uh, pop in. I was here just about to and, introduce. <laughs> Hello there, Royal Santa. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, so I'm going to take you back, right? Because it's a uh, um, uh, what you're doing is is a, an enormous task, right? So, things like finding magazines, as you know, right? So, as you you already worked that out. Uh, 
get ones that fit. They're not going to drop out right when you're halfway through uh, doing something. This is a, a, a really tough task. So how did you set out about finding the right people? So plates, you know, getting level four plates instead of, say, someone passing you off with level ones or something like that. How, how did how did you do that? So um, I have a team that's behind me and I've, I've, you know, quite a bit of connections. I'm sure by now anyone dealing with Ukraine that has been doing it for over a year has a lot of connections. Um, we have tested, you know, various different plates. And so we'll source them um, if, if we're buying level four plates, which we just help, uh, help to facilitate like 20 of those. Um, we go directly to the factories. If not, we buy it in the United States um where we have proven uh, i would uh, best way i could say it, it's just it's been proven over here document documented and everything um we also have people that are um very knowledgeable in these different areas in terms of the equipments because not all equipment is the same right um, yeah no it's not all the same is it right it may yeah. look the same to you but you go there's a there, there is a huge difference yeah well, I also have, when I've tied into a lot of my veteran community and people that I've served with, I have some uh, very special procurement individuals that work um, uh, in certain military commands that have helped out to make sure that I'm picking up the right stuff. Um, and, you know, going over the, the specifics of, let's just say, if it's a PBS-14, for example, what really matters? What are we looking at? Where the you know the, you know the, the the BS ones talking about you know the actual tubes and getting into the granular details, um, so that way I know that I'm sourcing the right stuff. I've had I don't think I've had a single issue, um, in terms of getting equipment that was not meeting the standards that we need. But, that, but that's because you've spent a lot of time working out who's it to go to, right? Because it's a, uh, it's a, it's a risky business, isn't it? As as uh, other people who have been doing this have found out, uh, and Maria Ray, yes. exactly had the same issue. Oh yes. So um, everything that we do, it pretty much is double checked um, by other. You know, I'm I'm kind of utilizing a lot of guys that have a lot of experience, um, former, uh, operators that I personally know, um, other big entities that have special connections with suppliers. Um, I'm going through them on a personal connection, making sure that I'm getting the right stuff, uh, stuff like that. Um, uh, in the beginning, um, one of the things when I realized I was going to do this again, I started reaching out directly to the manufacturers, um, or the U.S. companies and said, hey, you know, this is who I am. Um, there, I did one interview that I hopefully is not around still um, a long time ago. Um, and I was able to get in touch with the rights people that were supplying some of these companies and so forth and so forth uh, to verify all the equipment. Um, and, and, and also the equipment that we're getting is specifically matched for the mission that um our guys are carrying out so what that means is we're not sitting here trying to raise you know 600 level 3a helmets and pass those out no we're looking for specifically uh, for the war fighters that are truly in the mix of everything and try to upgrade those guys so that way they can be a force multiplier 
Um, and that's due to, you know, understanding a little bit more and getting feedback from, you know, the Russian TTPs and where these guys are fighting, such as, you know, the GFL um, recently was in Bakhmut, right? So, you know, what do they need for their nods? Uh, because the, nod, the, the, the TTPs of the Russians that are coming against them, while they have some stuff, they don't have enough. And, um, you know, if you can increase that unit, more, more men can have a bigger impact um, on that battlefield. And so, um, so I uh, brought in a lot more uh, uh, IR lasers for them to be able to aim with the, the PBS-14s and other thermal, uh, sorry, other um, night vision devices that they have. And how much do they come back with these two? Which uh, night vision uh, uh, glasses do they prefer? Everyone, I mean, they're happy with what their they own vision, right? they're pretty happy with what they have. I mean, it, we, we buy things that um, go through the department of commerce because it's easier and it's free to really um, push paperwork through um, and you get a quicker turnaround. So two pluses white phosphorus are great. Um, I mean, I, I remember whenever I was out there in July and, and, um, and uh, August and we're looking up at the sky and you're just seeing all those Russian drones flying above you. But you could you could see you could you'd be surprised what a two plus white phosphorus can can truly do, um, and what you know leg up on the battlefield that they're providing those guys. Yeah, so and the, at the very start, how much that that must have been quite a bit of a pull for you uh, between the the cost comparison because you when you're looking at stuff and you're going what's the cost of this what's the cost of that that must have been quite a bit of a pull on you in the uh, you know. That's quite a bit more. Uh, the the how did you weigh that up when you first started out? Because obviously, when you first started out, that's when you're formulating the plan, etc. Well, so you look at the, what the mission set is, and then you look at all these different options. And unfortunately, one of the things that it, it it gets under my skin is when I'm looking, and everyone thinks that they need the best of the best. And realistically, you know, if you have one, let's just say it's a PBS 14, for example, or let's just say it's a certain Do you want to scope. tell everyone what a PBS 14 is? Uh, so we're talking about, you know, the, the monocular, it's, it's one tube that's helmet mounted or it can be mounted on a rifle that helps you see at night. Um, and it either comes in green or white, depending on the, the phosphorus that's utilized. Um, it is not a thermal. It is a, a, a imager. Um, and... Um, you know, there, uh, you have your two pluses, your threes, and then you hypothetically have what's called a three plus, which you cannot export at all. The threes are ITAR, the two pluses are EAR, which is easier, um, to get approved. And there's a huge, uh, price difference. Um, you're talking about in the United States, a price difference of like a thousand dollars, um, between a three, depending on the model, um, and a two plus, that's uh, both of those being white phosphorus. So we do comparisons. Um, I've already done comparisons with like the L3 Harris uh, white phosphorus um, that had like a 2400 FOM versus, you know, a 1500 FOM um, uh, two plus. And I mean, the differences are very small, um, if that's. And so when you can sit here and you can pick up, um, white phosphorus for twenty one hundred to twenty three hundred dollars um, versus spending thirty six hundred dollars on you know a three plus and trying to go through the ITAR process. It's better to go pick up these two pluses and you know what's better than just having one eye out there. It's you know because it's monocular having 
two eyes out there, you know, having one for your, for the guy who's watching your back. And so we really try to maximize the bank for, for the buck that's been donated to us and being good stewards of, of, you know, someone's assets that are given to us by maximizing that effect. Um, yeah, that, of course. If that makes sense. Yeah. And it makes complete sense because that, that was the bit I was trying to get to because obviously if you've, if it's only one person in the unit, right, but they've got the best thing out there, but let's face it, you could take a, a, a small or, you know, a, a one or two steps down, but get four people out there with it. Then, then the benefits are, you know, outweigh, right. The one person having the best kit. Well, right. And here's the uh, best example um, of it. And so let's say that there's a Russian out here, out there in Bakhmut, but, you know, one might have, um, you know, a first generation equivalent of what they have as a PVS 14 they might be leading a group of 10, 15 people that don't have night vision. Well, they're going to walk in a line. They're going to get mowed down. So you think about the equivalent on the Ukrainian side. What if one guy has a PVS-14, but he needs to go out there and he needs to take people out there with them? You know, it's better to spread out and to have three to four people that actually have night vision that aren't going to be leading people into a death trap, into a kill, a kill box. So, you know, that's one of the big differences between, you know, getting people the most expensive thing that they think they need versus getting them what's going to get the mission done and keep them safe and, and making sure that, you know, their, their six is, is covered. And that's, by the way, that was reality. What I, what I just talked no, about. No, of course. Right. So I've, I, and here's the thing. So I've come from a time where these things didn't even exist. Right. So if you were patrolling, right. Um, it, it was just totally dark. Right. The, the, uh, um, yeah, it was a time where the, the, the night vision, I mean, the difference between them, they just didn't really that exist. People just didn't have them. So I completely get you. And, and that's one of the big things uh, at times when things are being done. And, you know, out there in Ukraine, there being such a huge lack of, of night vision, you want to own the night. And um, the more that I think that people out there can get spun up and understand buy this and not that don't buy it in ukraine don't buy it in europe find a way to work it through the er process get a cheaper amount get more of it um you're going to help units own the night you're going to create ukrainian um with with the right units you're those are going to be the boogeyman in the night not the russians and you want that and in fact even the two pluses they can see the trip wires they can see quite a bit when they're the white phosphorus um, there, there was an instance where one of our, one of the guys with the, with the Goddard group, um, that we support his white phosphorus two plus saved his life because he saw the tripwire at the last minute they were able to, to, to adjust before it went off. Um, and they're back in the fight. So those two pluses, you know, they work and they work well. Um, but again, like this past trip, I took 15 PS 14s. I took 15 thermals. You know that unit that's out there with those 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 men are going to own the knights. And, and the those, thermals those are, Russians are going to be scared. Thermals are which kind of manufacturing? I mean, this this is what gear. Um, this is all. Um, uh, the thermals are the are the on the cheaper end. They actually came with the PBS fourteen. Okay. Um, but they are. I mean, if you go on, um, any website in the United States, like a like Midway or you know B and H or um. Uh, optics planet you're going to find some really good pvs 14 deals and those ones are going to be fine 
the ATN, the AGM, uh, advanced night vision are great. What you're really looking for in a PBS 14 or any any type of like a PBS 31 or whatever it is, you want to look for the tube, the tube manufacturer. You want to look for Photonis, starts with a P. Um, that's where you know that you're going to get the best quality. And how much when you first when you first started did you find that all the these sort of supplies started drying up because everyone started looking for the same kit? They didn't start drying up. In fact, it started getting cheaper. Did it really? That's very interesting. Right now, um, so like on example, if I, you go on like B and H photography, you can look at a PBS fourteen two plus AGM for for now twenty three hundred dollars, and it comes with a thermal that's going to at least be able to see three hundred meters or so, and that's like a five hundred dollars six hundred dollar value. So right there, that's your biggest bang for your buck, and they're getting cheaper. Um, you, you think about it whenever you're like buying a car. Do you want to go to a car dealership that sells low volume or do you want to go to one that sells high volume? No, I know what uh, is supply, uh, is supply same, and demand, right? So they ramped up right supply now. then. That's very interesting. Yes. Yes. Well, and very honest, very honest of them, right? Because they well, could have just said, we've got, they could have as a, as a, uh, a manufacturer, just, oh no, that was, you know, we're really struggling, and they could have put up the uh, the price instead of lowering it. Very, very well, honest. Steel Steel Industries is the only one. They're out of Bradenton, Florida. I actually have been in their workshop, learning more on PBS 14s. Um, they're the only ones that have kept their. Um, they haven't really ramped up a whole lot in terms of of their manufacturing. Um, that's one of the best PV14s you can buy is from Steel Industries and will not work with them. Their owner doesn't care. You know, it really depends on where you go. But then you look at ATN, which donated a lot. You know, you can look at AGM. You know, these these companies have, have you know, been very supportive of, of Ukraine. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes you can make uh, contacts uh, with the, some of those distributors and so forth and get special deals. Um you know, and, and you can then hand or your like uh, us, for example, our ITAR guy can also work on special deals and get special pricing. Our That's ITAR very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so there's a question. So, um, uh, and, and these things you 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 can't find in Europe, or it's just uh, no, you, you know, can. Just... You're just paying a premium, and um, not going to pay a premium on on something. There's I'm no. Gonna... But how, how does yeah. that work with the? Uh, because obviously, you have the shipping costs bringing them from America. I am the shipping cost. <laughs> so I, take, I, I take, it take it in. So you're taking the hit on the shipping. Oh gosh. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm the one who I pay for my. Uh, this last time I got some help with my flight, but primarily I'm the one um, paying for all my gear runs and so forth. It's part of the what I look at as as part of my donation in Ukraine. I've done about twenty five thousand myself. Um, I would say probably about seven or eight of that has been just traveling flights wow. and bag fees and everything and how much is the per kilo cost when you go over your baggage allowance so i'm assuming that you when you're getting your flights you're being you know sensible and going oh this one's got a better baggage allowance let's um, say in the beginning uh lufthansa and uh let's see lufthansa did it american slash british um they waived all my bag fees um and then i, I once flew with delta and i had 900 dollars bag fees and then um, trying to, oh, Air France waived my bag fees, um, but then lost my bags for a day or two. That was great. Um, and then um, let's see. Oh, this past time, um, 
I went back on Lufthansa thinking that, you know, with my, here's my letters, here's everything. It's humanitarian. It's donated. It's, it's cleared. And they sat there like, well, we, we rescinded that policy. Uh, but the, the amazing manager there um, was able to actually drop my bag fees in half. And I paid 460 bucks with which thankfully um, an individual out there that I was bringing medical equipment to um, was able to throw in 230 bucks for that. But yeah, I, uh, I ate some, I've eaten some bag fees here and there Gosh. and the bags are expensive as well. So you, you kind of tear through your bags and I go through maybe four to $500 worth of bags each time. And you're using bags instead of hard things. Is that the bags because they're easier or getting hard, you know, hard cases is well they'll just add to the weight i guess won't they i max out um i'm i always try to max out how much is allowed in terms of oversized or you know oversized baggage and what i can what i can take um you don't try to sit here and you know take so many bags that you're going to draw attention to yourself you just always want to be in, in, early on people were being followed in kiev or not in kiev but in warsaw when it, um they were i think there was eyes on a lot of people i was followed once um, to my hotel. So, you know, you kind of want to keep a very low profile. And so I like to carry four to five bags, um, if possible. And I, 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 I'm, I'm looking, I'm watching a lot of people that are donating all this equipment out there and, and I'm looking at these boxes taken to the front or closer to the front and they're still keeping everything, in their old packaging. I remove all of the packaging. I use, um, vacuum bags and I suck all the air out. Uh, so I get everything as tight and neat as possible, um, which makes the bags again pretty heavy. Uh, but but yeah, I, I I just take what's necessary. I don't I don't keep this, you know, all these different boxes and all this extra foam. You know, none of my gears ever been damaged or anything. And and it, all it does is add to weight, right? So the it ultimately leads to you taking less if it does. And and people who forget if you've got uh, fifty box cardboard boxes, it all adds up, right? It air. Who needs to transport air? And, and uh, that's why I use these those vacuum bags like crazy. I, I've I've probably used sixty or so of these vacuum bags, um, and you know they last all the way there, and that's just, that's all I need them for, and I you know, I throw them away. Um, I actually even rip out the stuffing in my bags, and I use my clothes in those vacuum bags as the new padding, um, so I can pack out as much as I can. I hate taking taking wasted space. I mean, if I'm going all the way out there and it's not fun doing this, you know, um, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to have wasted space. Well, it sounds like you put an awful lot of thought into it. Most people wouldn't bother. They would just go, here you are, dumped it in. And then later on, go, Ooh, I wonder what I should do. Right. Right. No, I mean, my entire house, I have, I have two big front rooms. Um, I'll fill up both of those rooms. Um, with everything laid out and then I strategically put everything in the, in those bags for the flights. And then every single time that I do a drop, I reorganize because normally it's like, I'll do a drop in Lviv, Kiev. Um, this past time was Lviv, Kiev, Kharkiv, Zaporizhia, um, just with all the equipment that we were taking. And, but I had like a total of 11 drops all the way through all those cities. Um, so just now you talked about you were uh, you were followed when you were in uh, Poland. Do you think that was you were followed because someone may have been thinking about mugging you because it's a lot of it's a lot of money's worth of equipment or that for other more ne nefarious reasons? 
Well, we don't know exactly. Um, it was it was this was like in the very beginning. I think it was the first the first trip, and there were so many foreigners coming into uh, Ukraine back when there was like the Veteran Alliance and Task Force Yankee and all that. Um, I specifically pick hotels where you know your key card um, on the elevator. That's the only way up. So that way, you know the equipment that I'm taking is I know is secure. Um, I spend money on hotels when I'm coming into the country, um, if I actually stay at a hotel. Um, but you know, it could be people that are curious. Um, I remember it just being a bald white guy in a, oh my, in a, in a really nice pea coat. but every single place I went, this guy was following me. Um, uh, I did a little lap around the hotel. He still went in there and he went to the hotel and then, but you know, thankfully, you know, boom, once I'm there, I'm good. So I don't know if you're just curious or if it was more to it. Some other British guys that um, were staying at the same motel that were um, actually a part of the uh, the group, um, uh, the group chats on Signal, whatever, they were also followed as well, uh, but not by the same guy. They were just like, I think we were constantly having tails on us whenever we leave this hotel. Um, so that so that's some of the stuff that's happened in the beginning. Now you don't you don't see anything. That's very very interesting. Very interesting. It's always smart to go in a circle on a block or just hop into a uh an uber very quickly oh and then the little scooters if you're going to go out to get food whatever i take those scooters everywhere because no one can follow you yes they jump on another scooter and go follow that scooter right (laughs) i've never seen anything like that but yeah like i in the very beginning i I just was like this is this is really weird so i'm taking the scooters everywhere so it sounds like you've got you've got an extraordinary amount to do how how good as your employer being to you about this they don't exactly know um my boss knows and then my work partner knows and my assistant sometimes knows but i'll just kind of like dip out everyone thinks i'm on vacation yeah yeah that's one way of doing it isn't it so so i'm giggling away and that's a big part of the the um the war santa thing is i'm able to um you know, I'm not because uh, I think that if the firm knew exactly, I'd be going through a hell of a lot more compliance. Um, once our 501c3 is, is is fully pushed through with our lawyers, um, I'm going to actually go through the compliance stuff just to be more above board. But I don't know if I'll actually come out with my name. Um, but we're we're working it internally uh, because I've you know I've realized that this is going to be just for you know four trips or whatever that this can be more consistent. So um, so that is something I'm working on. Uh, that's, I mean, that's very, very, very good. Uh, so, um, uh, so going forward uh, with your five hundred one, how how far do you think you are away from that? Um, we're pretty much like at filing points. Um, us as an organization, we're not very big, uh, according to our lawyers, which is the Catton Group out of New York. Um, you're retroactive on donations for up to two years, so that's great. Um, we have finalized some of the language that we wanted included in there. Um, and it's realistically, uh, it's my, on the paperwork, it's myself, um, Isaac, which has been, uh, he's been on here before in, in Amanis. So I think that we're going to push that and file it. And it's been modeled off of some of the other organizations that move the same equipment. Uh, wonderful. And now I'm just going to let you know, I've just had a, a, a lovely DM uh, from someone uh, who's uh, basically said, uh, uh, so uh, says i've been working for air canada uh, for 35 years 
if you're looking to save money, you put may you may or may not know this, but I'll read it out anyway. As she knows who's I'm, who, who, who I'm referring to. If you're looking to save money flying baggage, try contacting their airline in advance um, uh, for complimentary fees. Um, if you do it in advance, uh, you uh, may likely really you know, uh, get lucky with Is that. Is that with um, Air Canada or in general? Because I've contacted the airlines in general and – so far, um, looks like all those complimentary have been rescinded. Um, I, I have not. Can you, fly, with can Ameri- you fly Star Alliance? Because Air Canada is part of that. And uh, for example, Lufthansa has operated um, um, yeah, a program which works in that regard. They, can't, they said they canceled their program. Lufthansa did. Yeah, you need to talk to them. It's not about programs, it's about individuals making a plea. It's, it's very strange, I know, but it's how it goes. Uh, well, uh, I'll I'll probably rehash that after this um, and look at it again. But we sent letters up in advance and everything else. And you else, fly? And you did we fly were, United, or what, what did you? Uh, I've flown. Uh, I flew Lufthansa this past time, and it was told no. And then I got about forty to fifty percent off of the bag fees. And then, um, but I've yet to work with American and British uh, yet. It, it really typically depends on. Uh, but the flight's available out of uh, Dallas, where I'm where I'm located. So what I can do is, uh, what I can say is give you a bit of, so in this instance, uh, uh, the person who's talking is talking about Air Canada. I can, uh, in, in back in the years I used to be an athlete, and I, uh, this is before everything was paid for everyone, so I was constantly doing it. So I found that it was always easier if I could find someone in the organization, right, as opposed to just a letter. It was follow up with a letter, get that person. It's a bit, you're in wealth management, as you know, so personal experiences or personal connections are the bit, right? To get someone to take ownership of it and go, yes, you can have it because that, you know, someone somewhere can always say yes, can't they? Yeah, and I just got a message also saying, hey, take me. I'll, I'll get some bags for you. I'm like, deal. So, yeah, I mean, and if anyone's got anything, you would love to talk to you guys offline about that. Um, you can hit up the War Santa um, Twitter. Uh, and um, I'm very responsive. Yeah, I mean, look, right, that's uh, it's the, what you're doing, isn't it? It's being responsive to, to anything, um, donations and, and all the other bits and pieces. Yeah. Right, so so, um, so, what's the plan? So you, you're in Ukraine now or are you back in the States? I'm back in the States. Um, there is a possibility of going back again. I woke up to quite a few requests, I would say, two days ago. Um, and if, uh, one of these really comes, start coming to more fruition in terms of the gear that they need, I'm definitely probably, I'm, I'm going back again, um, just because of the, uh, I would say, um, there's a huge trust factor in, out there in Ukraine. And when it's not necessarily about the money that's donated to us, but it's, it's um, other organizations and, and entities inside of Ukraine that do have funds that need specific equipment. They need someone they can really trust. Um, and I have been uh, delivering equipment for, um, for, this organiza- or for this group for over a year um, on some very high-end stuff, and they just increased what they needed um, by a lot and and if this works out I'm, I'm definitely going back pretty soon oh that's great news um so uh, the so i've i came in at the about five minutes before uh, this uh, session started so i i don't know a lot about you so uh, the 
so are you an ex-serviceman, are you? Yeah, I was in intelligence for four years of active duty, um, stationed in uh, Ramstein, Germany, part of the, 80, uh, the 86. Um, and then I was ninth OG for um, doing Global Hawk and U2 operations. Um, and then I went into the Guard for six years out of uh, Fort Worth, um, dealing with the heavies, the C-130s. Uh, been in three deployments. Um, operations that I've been tied into would be um, Libyan Revolution, Fukushima, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, some Horn of, Horn of Africa stuff, uh, Hurricane Harvey. I ran all the air injury for Hurricane Harvey. Um, we, we call it collection management. <laughs> and now I'm doing this as a volunteer. I loved it. When, when, I when, we spoke about, no, David, when we spoke about beforehand, uh, we talked about the C-130s and uh, uh, my least favorite bus, but very capable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But when you, when you collect... If only you could get one of those, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, those things, are, they're, they're old, fat, and dumb. I hated doing intelligence for it because you, you go from the highest manned aircraft in the world, the U-2, that's been around forever, that could do still amazing things. And you go to this, like, a whale that can fly, but at least this whale can land anywhere from Antarctica to, you know, you name it, and dirt, you know, a dirt airstrip out in Africa. It can do it, but, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a very easy cush intel job, put it that way. Well, uh, hopefully soon, or sooner rather than later, um, airplanes can fly back in at least uh, several locations in Ukraine, because that's one of the most annoying things, that uh, the transport all has to go to Zhizhov at this point in time. I can only hope that this will be, shall we say, less of an issue in the near future. Needs a few yeah. more, needs a few Logistics more Logistics are so key to this. Huh? Go ahead. I said it needs a few more Patriot batteries. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, they can open up the airspace around Lviv probably, but depending on what Russia's got out there. But uh, I don't know because I'm not tied in exactly into intelligence anywhere anymore where I can actually see the air order battle and the IADs for Russia. But yeah. Sorry if I use acronyms. I apologize for that. <laughs> it, is, it is something that happens all the time. Right? defense systems. <laughs> You're welcome here, War Center. No problem. It happens to all of us here. Now, uh, Keithing, uh, tell us a little bit about the boys uh, you're in touch with who are currently in and around Bakhmut. Yeah, so um, one of the things with our organization, and this is just kind of um, – information for people out there we like to keep our circle small um you know we're not trying to, to be this big old thing but we have five of us all five have been to the front four on contracts three have been wounded um in the hospital from you know operations against russia um and two of our guys are back out there again in and around bakhmut that are part of the international legion which is the most i can say right now um i know you guys already have the the unit but um you know, they're desperately trying to hold on to the last bits of uh, territory in Bakhmut and give them hell. Um, we're needing some vehicles out there. And, and so, you know, that's one of the big things that, that I'm trying to trying to work on. Um, but our guys are consistently out there. They're trying to update, modernize um, to, uh, the Ukrainian Western strategies. You know, training is a big part of that and so forth. 
Um, and our guys are, you know, they're all about the cause. None of them have been out there to, you know, uh, get any clout. In fact, most of them are not on social media or if they are, they're very small presence. Um, but they're, they're doing the work. And um, I would say definitely one of them individually, which I'll, you know, I want to highlight him. This guy has lost a lot of people around him, with him, on missions and so forth. And this guy still finds the way to keep going. And he's been wounded, um, you know, in, la- in the, the time that I just saw him out there, you know, he, he's, there's, there's, there's wounds. And, um, and he's still given those Russians hell. And his men that are underneath him are given uh, given those guys a lot of hell out there. So, you know, I know that there's been a lot of exhaustion out there um, in the online space um, because this is going to be a long war. But, you know, for those guys out there, they're really putting in the work and we can't forget about them. Here, here. Uh, trust me, we won't. We That's why we wanted your you to be here and uh, start talking about it because if and when you have time and feel free whenever you have time drop by um talk about what you're doing and what what your boys are doing because it's absolutely vital that these stories get out into the open we have to tell the stories just like president Zelensky earlier this evening and whilst we can't post it here because otherwise twitter may deplatform us um because we're not president Zelensky, um but uh whilst President Zelensky just tweeted out what happened in Kherson and how uh, uh, the Russian orcs just uh, uh, targeted wildly the city and uh, killed um, people who were just shopping in the anticipation of the curfew. Um, we have to make sure that those who fight for the freedom of the people to survive in Ukraine uh, get their fair share of the awareness, and this is what we do here. That's our job. Right. All righty. So the boys in Buffalo, this unity you were talking about, they've been reconstituted. I mean, they have been, say, getting uh, new guys in, or how are, they, how are they holding up, or have they been merged into other units? Um, I wouldn't know the exact details fully on some of that. I do know that some people have moved up in terms of chain of command and so forth, um, and that there's been some openings um, that we're filling in. There's also been you know, a decent amount of burnouts, um, to where, you know, you're, you're able to pull guys in, you know, it, not to necessarily mm, poke an angry bull, but when you're a, well, and I think the Ukrainians can do this as well. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I don't want to say that they can't, but you're also sometimes seeing a lot of individuals from other different units that aren't necessarily feeling that they are either conducting operations that they, the way that they need to be, um, or being utilized properly. And, you know, they're, they're finding homes, um, in the, uh, in the unit that our guys are with and so forth. And, um, and, and one of the big things that I I think that we're, that's been said, it's like, we're, we're trying to maximize people's specialties, um, to make a bigger difference. And, um, and our guy out there is, 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 is really trying to lead, um, lead that. And that's one of the things that the way Western militaries, um, conduct warfare is people have specialties. You have a role to do and you're going to be a subject matter expert at it and, and utilizing those people correctly can have a bigger effect on the battlefield just versus everyone doing the same thing. 
Um, uh, we tend to remember this. David has been blowing up things all his career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes, some, sometimes not exactly deliberately, but anyway, yeah. Look, I think mean, there's the thing when you when you're in the army or in the forces, you're used to people just saying, "Here you are," and no one asking you. Right? At the uh, there are times where we just go, "Why doesn't someone actually ask us?" what we want and what would be really good because uh, some of the stuff that this is, I mean, this is a lot, very long time ago. Um, uh, the uh, um, just wasn't you know, worth what we were using. Right. 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 And um, I mean, even in, when I was in intelligence, we, you know, one of the things like uh, intelligence is a, is a funny word because half the people are not necessarily intelligent. Um, but, you know, we, uh, back when I was on active duty specific, well, actually on both sides, but primarily in active duty, they found your specialty. They figured out what you were good at. They honed it. They worked it. And you passed it on to people that were very similar. And you try to have the best continuity you could with your skill sets. Um, and, of course, and the continuity was, you know, where a lot of things fall apart. But, you know, we were doing that even on the Intel side versus the, you know, I would say the kinetic side. Right. Um, and I think that's one thing that um, hopefully Ukraine gets gets better at is is figuring out people's specialties and in maximizing that. Always, always. Okay, so tell us a little bit more. Are there any uh, specific anecdotes which you think the audience should know? Things which uh, you and your buddies have actually gone through or survived? Because sometimes uh, there are stories which only happen in war, good or bad. Do you want to share anything? Um, ooh, so um, there's like a few things too. Oh man, there's 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 quite a few on these type of anecdotes. Um, yeah, I remember we were chatting and we, we, we could have chatted for hours, but <laughs> yeah, I know now, now you're stumping me, but you know, I'm thinking of like which ones to kind of throw out there. Um, I would say that humor, um, once you lose your humor, you lose your sanity. And that's one of the things I think that uh, when people are out there and they're looking and seeing, um, you know, guys riding around and taking the Ukrainians and are smiling, you know, they might've been talking about some pretty effed up things that have happened, uh, but making jokes out of it. It's one of our ways to deal, but you will see that morale is one of the biggest key, key things to have um, in any dark situation in life. And it's, it's one of the best coping mechanisms. Um, you know, we make our internal jokes and it, I'm telling you, it makes life a lot easier. It keeps it away from being a depressed thing because no matter what, you, you're not going to change the, the situation, the environment or the outcome. It is what it is. You know, you might as well smile at it and keep marching with what's going on. And um, and you see a lot of that everywhere. Oh, I love one of the best things, one of the funniest things that recently happened. Okay, judge me all you want. Um, I do photography on the side. And I did a modern-day morale pinup photo shoot for a bunch of uh, – a bunch of guys out there, the Georgian Legion, some others, and I made stickers out of it. Okay. And one of them is a woman um, in a ghillie suit um, with a, I think she had a 50 count with her at the time. And she's just aiming for simple photo. 
And this guy does not know her or anything else, but he'll just say he's a sniper out there in GFL. Every single mission he goes on, he takes that photo with him. He looks at it. It's whatever. It's his like small little motivation thing. He'll never meet her. Nothing like that. But and and then you know there's the stickers that 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 are put out there um, every once in a while, and it just keeps things lively. It it, it takes it's a moment an escape in time, and it helps settle you. And it's something that I've seen a lot um, when I went back there. I did this I did this shoot a year ago for the guys, and I was hiding them in the gear and stuff. And when I went back this past time, um, and I'm, I'm talking to the the sniper, and he pull, he pulls out this photo, and we made a video and sent it out to the model. But I'm like, holy crap! He's like, he has it in a little, you know, photo protector, and he and he puts it out there, and he keeps it with him on every single mission. And you know, sometimes it's like the smallest, dumbest things help you get through what you're you need to get through. And this guy has done some amazing work against the Russians. I've seen some of the videos. I'm like. Ooh, okay, never been on the other side of this guy. He's going to get you. But, you know, it's these small things that are going to keep him, you know, keep us going. And, and it's these, and sometimes it's, I look at it also as the humanity and warfare. You know, we can never forget about the, the human element that is getting completely decimated out there and that we need to find ways to maintain that for people. After this war, you're going to see the largest largest veteran affairs uh issue and ptsd issue uh since world war ii 100 and and you know we need to to not always you know warfare is going to happen losses are going to happen but help people keep their heads up and um and, and so i'm, I'm probably going to do another photo shoot for for you know shits and giggles um, but it's primarily geared to keep those guys head on a swivel, to keep them relaxed, to not keep them down when, you know, and, and, and we also got to remember they're taking lives out there and, and that stuff stick, sticks with you. So any, anything that's fun out there, I mean, hell, one of I always take, oh, here's one of the things I always do too. I take a camo Santa hat with me. I know that what I am giving to these guys is can can matter between life and death. I make the delivery of the equipment fun because I don't want to sit here and be like, here I'm giving this to you guys. So you guys have a leg up. I hope I see you again, and I hope you're not dead. You know, the next time time around whenever I come back. So I try to make it lighthearted. Uh, the Georgians love my camo hat, uh, camo Santa hats. Always leave them with me. But, you know, it's another big key thing. It's, it's always having hope, always being positive. You can never be a pessimist when you're doing this. And you always got to try um, because these guys are giving it their all. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I still I, I've got a, I say a friend of mine, someone I know, I call him a friend now who's um, in the um, well, I won't say what he's in. Uh, but, yeah, we, we talk uh, every now and again. And there are times where and people have to remember this, that, that, that uh, people who are on the front, they're very aware that this might be the last day they're around. We we uh, have a uh, uh, it's on our, us to make sure that we're not we're not reminding them of this. Right. Right, exactly. I mean, I would say the, I had the first gut check, gut check ever, was after my April run 
um, I had just gotten back. It was probably a week. And one of the guys in here uh, sends me uh, a message from the ambulance and videos. They had a Russian loaded ammunition hit them. And uh, Manus was severely, um, his eyesight's been severely degraded from that. And um, I mean, but it takes the wind out of you when you're seeing the people that you're trying to keep safe get hurt. It, I mean, I don't know what's the closest to like, you know, watching a child get hurt because I don't have kids. But I'm wondering if that's what I felt because it just it sucks the, the life out of you and the wind out of you for days, for weeks. And I saw my friend who was injured less than, than Manus um, go through that and talk to him. And I'm just I'm just imagining you know, uh, uh, what he's going through. Um, uh, but you know, for, for me, I think it was a little weird, um, uh, because here I am going all the way from Texas, trying to take equipment to keep those guys safe, constantly trying to ask, what do they need? Oh, we need bevy tents. Oh, we need this. We need this. We need this. And, and then, you know, then they get hurt. Well, since then, you know, out of the people that I've been, you know, bringing equipment to, um, uh, I would say there's been quite a few of the Ukrainians that have gotten injured and that also like one right now is in the hospital. I just got the message about an hour ago and you know, it, it just really, it, 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 it's, it's, it's demoralizing, but you have to find a way through it because this isn't, this war is going to, it's not going to end um, at that, at that point in time and at that, 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 uh, at this inflection point that you're, that you're going through. So, um, that's why I'm very big on trying to keep people positive. Um, and, and I've been really, really harping on, on, um, uh, what I'm trying to think or just, just people not being a pessimist with it, especially with all the fraud, um, that's been kind of going on in, in a lot of this, this, the, the donation space out there, you know, this stuff can is demoralizing to people, but we don't pay the price. Others pay the price, and we can't let go of that. We this entire donation space we're doing right now, what others are doing, we are gap fillers. We are fulfilling the role where typically a modern uh, military command or uh, a bit of you know, depending on how which Western country it is, structure. You know that's their that's their job. Well, Ukraine doesn't have that. Ukraine has big equipment coming in. They have um, you know support from you know the EU and so forth. But those guys on the ground um, don't necessarily have exactly what they're what they're needing. I, I was on a on a call with um, with Third Bat the other day, and there's one guy because the boots are not comfortable. He's walking out there to the front in Crocs changing later on and and so forth because you know they're trying to meet as quickly as possible this mass need but you know they need um they need the proper equipment and and you know that that uh, ukraine wasn't ready they, they just didn't have the ability to meet this need and so here we are as the donation space the, the area we play in we are gap fillers and and we are fulfilling um, the role, and here's a good antidote, we're fulfilling the role of, of normally a government, and we can't always have the civilian mindset of it. We have to understand sometimes that we have to operate at the speed of war because other people's lives depend on that.
Yeah, very much so, isn't it? And and people forget. So in the early days, we would see photographs with people. Uh, they you know they got their combat trousers on. They've got a t-shirt, their own t-shirt somewhere, and they're wearing trainers. They don't have boots and, and all the other bits and pieces. And that uh, you know, if this was the United Kingdom, uh, your kit would be issued to you, and you would have pretty much everything you needed, right? Uh, but they don't have that. They don't have that. And we're I mean, this is this is the crowdfunding bit that we're supplying to them because they simply didn't have the amount of kit that they needed. Right. And a lot of the kit that they're rushing to do in Ukraine, I mean, it's good on Ukraine for modernizing as quickly as possible or, or building up some, you know, a wartime industry. Um, but, you know, stuff isn't necessarily as durable as, as it's needed. And, um, you know, it's a big thing that, that needs to be sped up. And we look at the vehicle crisis that, that's out there. There's still a uniform crisis. Um, there's boots crisis. We, we see plenty of that, um, you know. And, and so I, I think if I, could, if I can part with something out there to, to donors, um, I really wish that they would understand that, you know, they are all a part of a um, huge network that is – that has come together to be gap fillers and they are really making a difference out there. Yes, they are. Right. And uh, uh, so um, at the very start, I mean, people were, people were getting their bosses when they were the people who had gone to the border guards or wherever they'd gone, their bosses were buying them things like their, their plates, you know, the, Kevlar hat and the rest of it. I sent my Kevlar hat out. Uh, the uh, I've I've got some one in storage at the moment, which I've got to try and find so I can send it out. And that's that's the problem is that we people forget that. Yeah, that's uh, the limitation that they have. Right. Right. Yeah. Axel. Yeah, I'm just answering questions as to the two drones uh, the Russians uh, used in order to. Uh, created their own little chimera of warfare. Um, was that when you look at all these outside events and the things which happen day by day and in media to the extent that you can follow them when you're there or when you're flying back and forth or focusing on your job, how do you think the... Um, I know that Ukrainian soldiers are reasonably good at, well informed and that many of them, when they have a moment, actually uh, do check the news or try to distract their minds, but... How do you think the Ukrainian nation and the Ukrainian soldiers pick up on all these uh, narratives? Do they just shrug them off and stick a finger out? Or uh, how do you see that? I mean, I'm pretty sure it's a mix. Um, I did spend quite a bit of time um, when I'm this past year on, uh, I took in two uh, Ukrainian refugees on the United for Ukraine program. Uh, for the U.S., so I actually have my upstairs in my house, two rooms and a bathroom. So I gave it to uh, to two refugees that I that I support as well. And I went and saw one of their friends uh, who also needed equipment and took him a red dot and a three times magnifier uh, and a thermal. And he had just done two um, two months in Bakhmut, and we were talking um, after everyone went to bed. And we were talking quite a bit on training, and we we're talking quite a bit about a lot of the different things that are going on. And his biggest thing. I mean, he really focuses on his guys. He begs for training uh, because they realistically have not gotten the training that they need for Bakhmut. Um, I don't think anyone really gets the training you need for Bakhmut, but 
you know, there could be more that could be done. I always feel that way. Uh, but, you know, it, his focus really was his guys on getting any little extra equipment and training and then a little bit on the external, but more he cares about is his family and his friends. And he spends every little minute like with his daughter and with his family. Um, so I think that there is a level where they, they do shut off and they just do their job. Well, that is the normal human reaction, isn't it? Essentially that you really want to make sure that you you can get some time off, get your mind off these things because the media spin and the constant blast of information doesn't help you do your job necessarily. Right. And it can be demoralizing. I mean, you know, media is sensational. It's never really neutral. It's always going to either take you up or take you down. And the, 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 unfortunately, the stuff that gets the headlines is the stuff that tends to take you down. And so, you know, I hope that what they are spending time uh, looking at, it's more on the up and up. But, um, you know, that's about as much as I can probably speak on that one. There's a very good point. There's a, a good reason why, for example, a space like this here exists in that regard. I'm not trying to toot our own horn, but it, because it is interactive and typically and, uh, today is unique because you, David, and I have been chatting away here for an hour. But um, typically it's very interactive. People have questions. They um, engage and they inquire and uh, our space lives by ex exactly that that there are many people with different subject matter expertise backgrounds many people who have served in some shape or form in their lives even if it's decades ago david <laughs> but it it helps to uh, focus on those matters dissect them uh, resonate sound them out and talk about them uh, it helps making sense of it and at the same time we create awareness Father. So you're doing something good with it as well. Otherwise, I, I, you, I agree with you. If one were to only consume the media and not engage with it or make it, then uh, the permanent staccato of uh, war imagery, take the what has been posted earlier this evening, or what uh, is coming out uh, almost likely in the coming days and weeks, when more territories will be liberated, or God forbid, as soon as Mariupol has been freed, this will take a toll on many people because they can't stick it. They can't take it in and process it and still carry on because it is so arcane. I mean, that, that is maybe the thing which, I don't know to what extent, this is what I asked earlier when, when you had the, you know, when I said you have one foot there and the other foot there. When you're in country, you're much closer to, what, to the atrocities which have been committed. Yes, you don't feel it in Kiev as much. I understand this, and my friends and colleagues in Kiev are the participants in our co-founder, Ferlaine, who is in Kiev, and the whole troop, they don't feel it there as well. Or our colleague, Ryan, who is traveling the whole country as a humanitarian aid logistics chap, they don't feel it there. But if he goes to Kupansk, or if he goes to uh, Izum, or Bakhmut, or Konstantinivka, of course he's extremely close. How does it feel passing through those um, for you, um, how does it feel? I would have to ask. Passing well, through I didn't pass this, some of those cities I did not pass through, um, but uh, I would say, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think. Um, <laughs> thinking about when I was in Orkiv, that's when the reality really hits you. 
I would say it's it's not necessarily always in the big cities. Sure, you have the air raid sirens on, and you have everything else. But when you are in Orkiv or in some of these other areas, and you're you're seeing still some signs of everyday life, but you're seeing the complete destruction, and then you know, 15 minutes later, you're you're you know getting artillery or 20 or whatever it was. But um, I think that's where it really kind of hits home, and I think there is a little bit of a um, Unfortunately, and I've actually heard this from a few people that I that I've been uh, that I support, and this is from some Ukrainians. It's kind of like there's a a glass shield from the front lines to Kiev to Lviv and so forth. They, it's as if sometimes the war has gotten a little too far away, and that people are forgetting. Um, and that's something that was that me and another Ukrainian were kind of talking about this past week. And it's an unfortunate thing because, you know, we can't stop. You need, of course, you're seeing when you're coming across and you're seeing all, so many people coming back into Kiev, not necessarily sorry, coming back into Kiev, but in Ukraine and you're, and you're coming back through like on the train or on the bus, which I prefer to go. Um, you you're witnessing people coming back, but you're wondering why, because you can't if they if they left the east, well, where are they going to go? Do they have jobs? Do they have this? Are they going to be a part of the war effort? And you realize a lot of people are just wanting to go home, um, but it's not necessarily the same because the industries are all different. I do, really do feel that there is a bit of a glass shield where um, they can see, they can they can go online, they can see all this stuff, but it's still a little far away, and they're still shielded from it. And and life, you know, kind of goes on in, in a different normal. And and I don't think that that's does does any that does Ukraine justice if that if that kind of helps a few things. Explaining that. It certainly does. When you touched upon earlier upon uh, the veterans affairs, I mean, we are always very careful talking about trauma and PTSD and the likes, because many people go through trauma and then let the rate of trauma heals after uh, traumatic events. Actually, most people go through them that way, even through wars. That is the strange thing, but that's what experience and history have shown. But it is, of course, a significant force-on-force conflict, and it reminds us more of the events of maybe, to an extent, the Korean War, because there was a massive uh, force-on-force conflict in that regard, and it had an impact, but it went away, or literally it was not as felt in the United States, because um, the population, or the relationship of the fighting force to the population welcoming those uh, fighters back was different, and of course it was far away. Here it's different, and we discussed it when, uh, for example, our friends and colleagues, Natalia Kamikova, uh, she's uh, one of the leaders in the Ministry for Veterans Affairs, and her troop who went to Washington with, uh, actually with colleagues of ours a couple of times and spoke in front of the Helsinki Commission, and they, they highlighted that it will be a massive effort in future. Um, to um, ensure that veterans find their way into society, find themselves um, in a position to, uh, say, live a uh, say, fulfilling life. And if they are capable, whether they've lost uh, limbs or not, whether they're capable to actually engage in work, that they find their occupation, that, they, that the society takes care of them, that maybe it actually changes all the, all the way how a society like Ukraine, with now that then different means, deals also with... Uh, say, should we say, health impaired and uh, say, uh, people who have uh, afflictions in that regard. This is a, is a major difference. 
between the Soviet society on the one hand and how they dealt, for example, with those who came back from Afghanistan and how Ukraine as a civilized country will deal with their veterans. Now, you see a lot of people in Ukraine when you pass through, how they have lost life in them. Overwhelmingly, uh, the picture which we see when we look into Western media and what comes out of Ukraine is that the Ukrainian society ha has shown a significant cohesiveness. There is, uh, and it's not just when um, they salute those who are being buried, those who have perished, but also how they welcome those who have recovered or come out of hospitals. Can you um, talk a little bit about how this how differentiates between those who've come from the International Legion to fight and um, the Ukrainians and how they are perceiving those fighters when they come out of combat? Well, I wouldn't be able to fully speak on um, you know, how the Ukrainians see the international fighters, um, but I will say that You're, you're definitely right on the cohesiveness on, you know, in terms of you, you, Ukrainians want their freedom. They want to be able to, to pick and choose their leaders. They want, but, you know, that, that is the reason why Ukraine, the, I'm trying to remember who, uh, Yurla, um, the medic that was out of Mariupol, um, she said it really great. And I'm going to pick on this is she said this war would be won with, um, You, uh, Ukrainian will, American steel, but really that Ukrainian will has been so cohesive, so strong, and that's really what's given Russia a, you know, a run for its money per se in in, in warfare. And um, now, with one of the things though that does happen is that people forget, and and again, like I said, like this new normal, well. You better once life is different for someone that has been, you know, let, lost the limb. I mean, you know, for example, like it's completely different. They're not the same. They're, they can't always, you can't, you know, it's not like you can take a bullet or something like that, you know, um, depending on what, you know, what's going on or they've been blinded. For example, life is completely different, you know, and you still have to find a way to include them into your everyday, into what's truly going on because this individual has, a, you know, they've, they've lost a lot of different stimulation. Um, you know, there's a, there's a whole uh, dopamine serotonin effect that, 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 that's missing there. Um, and they want to be active. They want to be doing things. They don't want to look at themselves as disabled. We have to work really hard after this war on being very cohesive with, that support and make sure that it doesn't stop wavering. Um, our guys are very much aware of that. You know, we've have guys that are injured that are, that are needing that. Um, and we also have to remember that, you know, kind of the rule of thumb, it's that for every one person that's been killed, three have been, you know, life-changing injured, taken out of the fights. And um, so this is going to be a massive, massive, need um after this war and well i mean the needs already started but you know it, it definitely is gonna to have you know huge last inf uh, impacts and this is going to be ukraine's greatest generation you know when we looked at you know western society we looked at the greatest generation in terms of world war ii was the veterans that came back after world war ii this is going to be you know ukraine probably ukrainians greatest generation coming after this war And, and a lot of those vets are going to be a, an integral part of it. And that's got to be understood. It's got to be, um, uh, 
uh, I'm trying to think of it. It's got to be fostered. And, and I think that the country is going to be great for it if it does. Yeah, so I mean, you've t- you touched on part of it. The the uh, one of the things that you see sometimes there's a meme that goes around. If you ask people to go to war, you best be able to uh, help look after them afterwards because there's going to be some serious effects, right? So, which brings me to a question, right? Because um, uh, this war isn't going to go on forever. How do you see yourself evolving? Ooh, I don't know. I think that I'm evolving in terms of the need of the people that I know and the need of people that I know tends to get bigger. Um, you know, my life has completely, obviously completely changed in the past year and in, in, let's say 14 months um, that I've been doing this. You know, am I one of those that are, that's going to move to Ukraine? Like, like my friends that are out there? No, I don't think I'm that one. But as some of the Ukrainians that I've helped, it's like, then they said, you know, like you are a brother to Ukraine, like you always have a home here in a different way. And I think that it's now going to be a, a, a lifelong part of me. Um, you know, exactly how it looks, I don't know. Um, but I feel that I am better for it. Um, that's for sure. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um you know, I don't exactly know how it's going to go. I know that I I plan on continuing my job, um, but uh, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. One of the things about War Santa and the reason for War Santa is I can hang up War Santa whenever I want um, and go back to life being normal. I mean, I, clearly at some point War Santa will be hung up. Um, and I will probably find a way to be a part of the reconstruction with my friends, um, and helping out where I can there. But you know, what, what is it going to look like? It's going to have to come from different skill sets that I have acquired from other places than what I'm currently utilizing right now. I mean, look, the, the thing is, is that in the rebuilding, they're so, I mean, the, the operation will be so huge, isn't it? There will be the people who've been injured, the people who've been really badly injured. How do you get there? How do you help them? How do you reintegrate them? How do you retrain them uh, uh, to uh, to get a job, right? Because um, a lot of the industry right. is being destroyed. There are so many, so many different avenues. And you touched on, I'll go back a little bit as well. Again, I keep doing this at the, uh, um, as you mentioned at the moment, uh, there's a um, uh, vehicles, shortage of vehicles, shortage of APCs and safe vehicles to get people to and from the front and things like that. So that's a, I mean, a big task. Are you, are you thinking about maybe you might be able to help in that direction as well? Um, I mean, I'm already kind of working uh, various different avenues to help in that direction. Um, but in terms of, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be putting money in towards vehicles and so forth as well. Um, we have guys that are better at sourcing the vehicles, um, everything from the UK to Poland to Ukraine. Um, but, you know, the extent that um, I'll be able to do, you know, because we're not just looking for realistically, we're not looking for one or two vehicles. We have a huge need. I mean, people are needing to get it to the front lines. These are one of the difference between the, you know, not to knock on any Ukrainians, but you know, a lot of the volunteers that are out there um, from the Western side, they volunteered to be there. 
their morale is a little bit different. They want to give it to the enemy, and they've been there for a while. You know, and getting those guys to the front to do what they need to do, it's one of, why it's one of our big focuses is the International Legion um, for those motivated guys that can do the job. Um, so, you know, we do have this really big need, and we really do focus on uh, getting those guys going um, as quickly as possible right now. But I, I have limitations of what I can do. So because yeah, I, I do have two Ukrainians over here at my house and, and, and others that I that I take care of. Yeah, you've taken on a great responsibility there. Like you say, people there be getting equipment and there'll be a, a, there's the pool uh, for there. Are you getting the right equipment? All of these things I can see uh, uh, is going to uh, have a, a bit of an emotional drain at times. Right. Because um, you sort of touched on it earlier. Uh, when someone that you know you lose them it's it's a it's a punch in the gut it's like feeling so you know you've lost someone from your family right we uh right. we don't get to choose our family but we choose our friends and and it is right. a, a significant loss uh when you know someone and suddenly they're no longer here because you uh you remember the last time you were speaking to them yeah, and I'll tell you, I probably quit helping Ukraine maybe about five times, and that lasted about twelve hours because it gets to you, and you're like, I just can't, and and then, and then you get pulled back in, and you're like, okay, here we go, you know, spinning it up, getting things done, but uh, I mean, there is emotional emotional drain, and and you're right, it's one of the things, and I guess here's the, the best moniker, and I or not moniker, I would say it as a um, um, antidote. I'm starting to use a different hashtag and I'm trying to use a little bit more, but I'm trying to implement it in my mind as well. And it's, it's until victory. And one of the big things, if, if anyone could ask me, what is my objective in Ukraine? Point blank. It's to be helping out until the end of this, till there's victory. And I think that the more that people actually think about this, um, you know, it is about, um, lasting uh, through all of this, not just, you know, doing something for like a year, you know, this war is going to be, you know, it's, it could be, could be long. So we want to have the stamina to keep going because those guys out there, um, you know, putting out, you know, putting their lives on the line, you know, they, they're given the stamina because they have to, you know, ours is a choice. theirs is not, let's pony up and let's keep our minds clear and good to keep, keep going. Um, I, you know, I have to remind myself all the time, you know, uh, that my emotions are just there to mess with me, um, but that I need to have the stamina to keep, um, going because there's been a lot of things that want to hold you back. There's a lot of things that won't hold you down that, that, that make it, um, look better to, to, to slow down or to quit. But someone else again pays the price for that. Unfortunately, I'm not saying that it was a fortunate thing, but. I've been put into a position where I had the ability to make a difference and I'm actually pretty religious. I saw it as a God thing. And so I acted upon that. And whenever I was like, okay, well I did that. Okay. I'm not going to do this again. I ended up doing it again because I'm over here at train station. I'm, I'm watching all of the, the, the men and their daughter, you know, give them flowers to their daughters and stuff. And they are going off in Lviv, going to training or doing whatever. This is earlier on. And I am, um, you know, watching the families leave. You know, they, they don't know if they're going to see their dad again. And 
and I'm witnessing this on the train so much. And I'm just like, there's more in you. There's more in you. Let's see what we can raise or do. Go online, find, fam find families that are trying to get the right, that are, you know, based in the United States and, and getting the equipment to their family members. That's one of the things that I do. Um, I, I'm in contact with a few families that, um, and I shuttle the equipment for them. Um, I help them make sure that they're selecting the right thing. Um, you know, most bang for your buck. Um, that's actually how I've gotten closer to 200,000. But, um, you know, the biggest, there's always something there that pulls me back in that, that, that keeps me trying to find enough gas in the gas tank till the end of the uh, end of this and, until, until victory. Gosh, that's great. So uh, the, uh, how, have you been able to uh, pull on your church network to help or is, is uh, just I haven't utilized that. Um, um, exactly. Uh, so there is a, um, fatigue out there. That was something that was kind of going on in the beginning, but there is a fatigue, um, in terms of, uh, other religious entities that I've, I've witnessed, um, there's fatigue in God, so many different areas that originally were, we're donating money that that's dried up. Yeah. I mean, there's been uh, out of uh, some parts in some of the religious circles, there's been mixed signals, haven't there uh, in, in the U S as to whether uh, uh, people should be helping or shouldn't be. Um, well, in, in to be not, and to be fair to them too, um, a lot of them, you know, like to focus on children and everything else like the next generation and so forth. And, you know, if they already have a, but, you know, every, there's always a need in multiple different areas that people need help from missionary work in Africa to homeless kids in the United States. So I can't knock them for, for that. Um, and, and that being their focus. Um, uh, but I think that a lot of, because their focus has been that for so long, they're very soft in terms of, uh, and not fully understanding, no offense to civilians, they're civilians, um, they're not fully understanding of like humanitarian is not necessarily handing out a water in a blanket. It's providing a scope on a rifle for that guy to end the invader, uh, you know, and, um, and I think sometimes that's a, that's a very tough thing for people to, to visualize and to get behind emotionally because people are emotional donors or donors are emotional, you know? And, and I think that the, 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 the need is, is sometimes harder to chew on. Yeah, and, and sometimes uh, 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 the uh, donors are a little bit drunk. If Shaggy was here, he, he, he would be telling you all about it. Uh, yeah, sometimes it's uh, the, the, in the moment, isn't it? Now, I can see a hand up. Uh, uh, are you okay to ask uh, answer a question? Yeah, yeah. Um, feel free to Thank ask you. questions. Thank you. Yeah, hi, War Santa. I hope you guys can all hear me correctly. Loud and clear. Can you me? Yes. Wonderful. I wanted to thank you so very much for everything you're doing for Ukraine. I want to thank you for your service to our country. Uh, I'm in California in the U.S. I wanted to ask you two quick questions, if I could. One of them is you, you, sound, you sound so incredibly young and so incredibly together. I wanted to ask how, how, you, how you keep that light going how you keep that positive outlook going. And the second question I wanted to ask, if I may, what other mm, uh, nonprofit or, or people have you run into in Ukraine, if any? 
And okay. uh, I'll listen. Thank you. Um, so ooh, the, the first one, okay, I'm 36 years old. Um, so that's there's my age out there. It's, it's already been publicized on the, the Stars and Stripes. Um, but uh, yeah, so 36 years old. Um, I would say that I sound like I have my crap together, so to speak. Uh, because of a lot of failures in life, I'm always trying to, you know, me trying to work on my way to be successful and whatever it is that I'm doing, you fail a lot and you learn from those failures. And so I like to think that any type of maturity or uh, idea that I have, have it together comes from failures more than anything um, and, and learning along the way of, of life. I mean, I have... I, I came from a bankrupt family, didn't have anything. I became a VP at the largest wealth management firm in the world, multiple degrees. But I never, never, um, I did not come from come from anything a silver spoon or anything else like that. It was all a grind. It was all grit um, to get where I am. And and now I look at it, and I've had so many mentors along the way in my life since 17 years old. Still time at 17, and. Um, you know, I, I try to impart that back and I, and I try to, you know, pay it back. Cause I don't know if I could ever pay back all the, the, the tough words that I've had when I've fallen and needing something to pick myself back up or needing someone to pick me back up and, and basically tell me, Hey, you need to get back out there and whatever it is, you need to try again and you need to do it immediately. One of the key things that I was a lesson actually came from my dad was, uh, when he was diving and um, he hit his leg on the side of the, the, the pool or something like that and, and almost broke it. And my grandpa said, you need to, and my grandpa being a war two vet, you need to get back up on that diving board and jump again. Cause if you don't, you never will again. And that's kind of reminded me a lot about whenever I fail, I get right back into it. Um, probably the next day, I think I take an afternoon off and I go back out, whatever, whatever put me back down. And I look at it as a rock in the road that you go around, not a barrier. Um, and so I think that's where I pull a lot of that from. And then other nonprofits in Ukraine, I've met a lot, um, been a part of some other ones that I won't speak of. I hope that they're all doing their best. Um, uh, 3XR, Julia is amazing. I will definitely throw that out there. And those guys out there are, are doing some good work. Um, De facto is out there doing some good work. Um, uh, one of the most amazing people that I absolutely love her to death, um, is Joanna of 688. That woman, you want to talk about life trying to kill her with the cancer that she has. And, and her and I talk a bit, I mean, you want to talk about a, a, a source of inspiration. That woman doesn't quit. And we were having, we were eating, um, at a restaurant, which was actually my, my buddy's favorite restaurant, Poznan. In, in Poland a couple of weeks ago um, and, and just learning about her mindset and how she, you know, not about what you see on Twitter, but how she just lives and breathes supporting Ukraine with everything she has. And, you know, she's got, you know, kids and husband and all that. And she's got cancer that's trying to eat her, you know, and destroy her. She does not let go. <clears throat> and so, you know, I look at her and I consider her whenever I'm like, I just can't do this anymore. There's just so much stuff going on. I, I like, what would Joanna do? She wouldn't quit. She would laugh it off, look in the face, 
tell it to F off, and she would keep moving forward. And I think that there's some serious, like people like that that have such huge personal um, things against them and tragedies against them that keep moving forward. Uh, th- that's inspiration to me. And that, that to me is, is a, a different type of hero. Wow, thank you very much. Um, I have DM'd you. If it's possible, if you could send me, uh, was it Joanna's uh, profile? You said she was on Twitter. I would love to double check if I'm following her. Um, Thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. And thank you for coming on Maria Report. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for everyone for having me. And I'm open to any other questions. Oh, well, we've got two hands now. Uh, Victoria, and then it's Sky Kiss. Victoria. Thank you, Dad. Hi, World Center. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was just, it was such a great interview, and I'm just amazed by the amount of work you do for Ukraine. Um, just, guys, for, for those who don't know, who don't know, I... Uh, I arranged his interview because he was actually helping my friends in the front lines and he does a lot of amazing work for Ukrainians and you just put so much effort and your personal money and time. It it, it is just amazing. Thank you so much for everything you do. Um, I have a question. So when you go to Ukraine, I mean, I assume that's a challenge um, since you don't speak Ukrainian, you know, and most of the Ukrainians don't speak English. How do you overcome this problem? And then maybe have some interesting stories of, you know, about Ukrainians, about the mentality, culture, food. What do you think about Ukrainians? I'm just, I'm just curious. Well, I, I live with two, so that if they're listening, they're probably going to start laughing at me. Um, Ukrainians are special people, <laughs> and I'm thinking about them right now. Um, I would say the, the first part is, um, the, the, to get back to your questions, um, the language thing has never been an issue because they start figuring out what you're doing. And, you know, there's Google Translate. And once they figure out what you're doing, oh, my God, do they help you. I, I mean, there's so many nameless Ukrainians that have helped me uh, with my bags and so forth, um, helping them put them on the trains and, and so forth. And it, there's just been so much... Uh, from like the station workers um, when they realized I was doing gear runs from um, some of the families with have kids or whatever, like, you know, do you really need to use the bathroom? Like, yes. They're like, and you're, you're just like, you got to trust someone and you go as quickly as possible. But I mean, I'm going to trust the family. He's got three kids tugging on him versus some, you know, solo person. And, um, and those station workers were there as well. But like, you know, I've had a lot of help. Um, typically, I'll find someone, or they will find someone who speaks English. I have some really funny stories. Um, I, I can say uh, this uh, past time uh, we were we were getting um, our bags checked on the uh, train coming in, and they didn't really speak any. The border guards didn't really speak a whole lot of English, and I'm showing them all the paperwork and everything that I have. They're they're going through. I'm like, crap! Don't touch that bag. Like it's one very specifically packed but it's my expensive bag and then and, and they're going through all my paperwork and that's been translated um in ukrainian as well and so forth and they're like wait a minute you're bringing this you're doing this you know and they're, they're hugging me and everything else they're so grateful but one of them had some medical stuff in there and i guess the ukrainian word for pills it sounds like pickles so he kept asking me if i was bringing pickles the entire time 
And I'm like, why would I be bringing pickles from the United States? So, you know, there's, there's some funny instances, um, but that lasted for at least three or four minutes that I thought this guy literally thought I was bringing dill pickles in, but it's really like, do you have pills with you? I'm like, no, I have gauze. I have, you know, other stuff like that um, and stuff for IFAX. But, um, but yeah, that was like one of the funny uh, things. And then Ukrainian culture, it is definitely a culture shock. I think that you still see remnants of old Soviet mindsets with the clash of the West. And it's really interesting to see how it, it, it plays out, but it, it, some of it deals with uh, the, the trust and the um, favors are a currency um, in you in Ukraine. And I'm not used to that whole mindset. And so it's just like, I'm here to help. I'm not here to gain from it. Um, so that's, that's a whole new thing that I'm, that, that sometimes uh, depending on, uh, which you, you know, who you're meeting and, and their parents and how they were raised. It's like, okay, you know, you're doing this for me. What do I have to do for you? And it's like, live and <laughs> try to like, you know, take care of your family. Like this is this, you know, it's, it's not, it's not about, you know, getting anything back. And oh yeah, by the way, try to please do a video so that we can put it out here, how we're actually delivering the gear. I've been really bad about documenting everything because I did three runs before I ever really was on Twitter. I never really, I think I made one tweet complaining about a uh, movie theater, how dirty it was once um, since I had Twitter. I really didn't use Twitter until May. I already had three gear runs under, uh, under my belt. So, you know, I wasn't necessarily over here documenting everything because my donors and the, the people, like those were the family members. So they just verified everything and they're like, holy crap, this guy really does bring equipment and that's including your uh your friend that you're talking about you know i was helping him out um before i was ever even on uh twitter um but yeah so that's just some of the interesting things sorry to go on a ram tangent but that's some of the interesting things that i i run into is that favor currency um i feel that being an american bringing equipment into ukraine is almost a it's like a passport in its own um, people really go out of your way for you. Um, so it really does feel great, um, feeling appreciated, um, when you're lugging, you know, 300 pounds worth of stuff around. Um, if that, does that answer everything? Yes, absolutely. And so do you see yourself coming back to Ukraine after, uh, after our victory, you know? Yes. Maybe, maybe as a tourist, or maybe maybe you're gonna help to rebuild Ukraine. Just, I'm just curious. Um, yes, I do plan on coming back. I actually plan on going to Ukraine. Um, so, after my mom died, I did a what's called a kind of a dark tourism thing, and it helps kind of reset your mind. I found it on like Psychology Today, and so I went to Auschwitz and a few other places, and it, and it helped the grieving process. And after my dad died right before COVID, I was going to go to Chernobyl and a bunch of other places. I was doing a little bit of that. So I had already like a Ukrainian trip planned, but I couldn't pull it off because of COVID. Um, you know, now I won't be able to do it, but um, I, I do plan on visiting Ukraine, bringing other friends over after that and um, knock on wood, be at some Crimea uh, celebrations. Oh, thank you so much for that. And, and it's Victoria, just... it's funny that he also had never been on Twitter much before. Because <laughs> it's no, it's no surprise, so... many people haven't done that before. 
that's why I don't have like any followers and it's really hard for donations, but I've like, I'm still under a thousand. I think, I don't know, but yeah, there's, just, there's, just, there's, just, there's just so many great people. There's people from all over the world who just go to Ukraine to help, but we just don't know about them because they just, they're not on Twitter. They're not on social media. So we just don't hear about them, but there's a lot of them. So uh, I'm yeah. so grateful. Thank you again. What was the other uh, person that had a question? Oh, well, oh. we've got several. Uh, it's Sky oh. Kissed, yeah. then Fella Sam, then Milia. Thank you very much. Um, I just followed you, Warsana, um, but I discovered in the comments, oh, he helped this soldier who I've been following for a while, and I've been following Joanna for at least a year, so I'm very well aware of all of her great efforts. Um, I didn't know she had cancer, though, probably because she hasn't said anything about it's it. It's on her but... Twitter. She put it on her Twitter. Yeah. yeah. I must have missed it at some point. Or it, It's something that, well, my mother um, passed away almost a year ago. Saturday will be a year. And um, it was stage four cancer. And so, you know, I, I know that people can power through if they get the right um, immunotherapy. Mm -hmm. Some people make it a long time and some people don't last very long after the diagnosis. Right. But anyway, um, you know, I, I do um, when she whenever she's got a, a new fundraiser, I do try to you know, if I can't donate at that time, I I try to get get that um, what I call spin <laughs> spin the fundraiser and get the the notices out there, retweet the retweets. a lot. Yeah. Yes, a whole lot. And um, like many people here, um, I had Twitter for a while, but it I used it in a very limited fashion, and it's only. Um, my whole life is basically on Twitter now because of this war. And um, I've been here in the report for um, all but the first week of the war. And then I, I followed one of one of the journalists who I followed because it was all just national security, politics and journalism before that. And I, I was mostly on Facebook with friends and family over there. And so then I, I was over here trying to get information and, and followed this, this, this woman who's a, an ex-Navy JAG here in the U.S. And she just happened to be going there. And, and I, I'm like, okay, it says I'm going to get information on Ukraine. But um, one of the things that... Um, I try to get people to understand is there are small, small donations that need to be made, you know, night vision goggles, medicine, socks, you know, all these small things that um, don't make the news. But the, all these brigades, as you said, need a lot of these small things and they need them critically. So, so um yeah, and I got a, a tidbit to add on with what you said. A lot of okay. the bigger organizations are doing a mass, you know, they're, they're trying to buy for the masses. Mm -hmm. And some one of the issues that I had, um, and I actually had a meeting 
Um, I don't know if I'm clear to talk about which um, section uh, in MOD, but um, I had a pretty pretty high yeah, uh, pretty high up meeting, and one of their complaints was I'm not going to say which organization. Um, but they singled out an organization that they personally know the founders before the war. And they were like, it is, it is a process that when we need X, Y, Z drones and we might be a soft unit, this might be our, you know, some of our soft guys that desperately need things. It's go to this website, fill out this form. Um, we'll put you in the queue. You ask for five, you're getting two, but then, you know, you might have a, another, unit that's just training that's just preparing and now that soft unit is having to battle with this other unit that's not ready and these smaller organizations such as ours we're only dealing with people um, on the front lines unless we have bag space to carry it our stuff is for guys that are really really in it uh, and it, it is critical or it's that you know that leg up in, in arming some of these guys that um that are that are doing the mission to be more mission capable um, with that critical equipment. So that's one of the things that, to kind of make note with these larger organizations versus smaller organizations is their targets, um, uh, guys that they're trying to to to, to, to sorry the guys that they're trying to support um, might be very unique and it might be very critical. Right. Well, well, we we. Um... You know, we've done like fundraisers to, to get sleeping bags for a particular brigade, you know, just little things that are critical um, right away, you know, and they, right. they need them right. or they're going to need them in a month. And we need to get on it now doing the fundraiser. So thank you very much for for everything you've been doing. Appreciate and um, um, as as long as you can, you know, if if you'll just uh, put. Um, whatever list you need on your profile, um, you know, it will pop up in people's feeds. And I'm going to do like a, a, a short list that already has 3XR and, and um, Harry Est and a number of other people on it. And I'm just going to do a short list. And like every week, I'll just go and check the profile and see if there's any new it. Because sometimes you, you will miss it you know, coming through your feed. And that's not really what you want to do. You want to go and check the fundraisers that you want to help. At least you want to get the word out there multiple times a day. So thank you very right. much. And I'll let someone else speak. Uh, Sorry, David. No, no, uh, thank you very much, Guy Kiss. Anyway, before we go any further, I'm going to say, uh, Nuclear, we're just going to finish some questions and the rest of it. But welcome uh, to the space. Good to see you, brother. Uh, the uh, fella Sam. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it was just to say to say thank you to to War Santa and the Victory Team because they they helped a friend of mine in the International Legion, a, a British guy who's fighting over there, and they got him some night vision um, and a thermal, like they were talking about before. And they've been used. I've been I speak to him on on Signal, and they've been using those things this week to do night ops. Um, so that's a direct proof of concept sort of thing that this this is is it works that War Santa does does exactly what, what he says on the tin, you know. Um the the other couple of things, um Joanna, who we mentioned before, I've pinned her profile in the comments because I think A Trimper wanted it. 
and I've also pinned the victory team's profile in the comments as well. So it was just a just a thank you really to to War Santa, and keep doing the work you do, mate. Nice one. Appreciate it, Sam. Yeah, thank you very much, fellas. Thank you, and Milia. Hey everyone, uh, I'm Mila. I just wanted to say thank you to War Santa for everything that you're doing for Ukraine with the supply runs and your commitment to the cause. I'm sorry to hear about the loss of your friends and the injuries they've suffered. I'm sorry to hear about you losing your mom and dad. That has to be really difficult. And it's inspiring to hear how much you've been helping Ukraine and I'm proud of all you're accomplishing and I really appreciate your work. Uh, Maria Report inspired me to mail uh, my representatives and vice president president to ask them to support Ukraine further. And I was wondering, maybe you can answer in a DM, but where in the state of Maryland or DC can I volunteer to help package supplies to send to Ukraine? Um, I can actually probably, yeah, let's, let's take that to DM, um, because I can, I can help you with the shipping and how to do that. Um, I have shipped things. Um, I keep a running list of what I've actually sent and yes, I made it candy colored, uh, Excel, um, candy cane colored Excel, but, um, um, I can, I can help you with all of that. I am actually about to ship, um, about 40 pounds worth of medical stuff in Ukraine, um, probably this week. Um, so yeah, we can, we can help coordinate that. Awesome. Thank you very much. And every, everyone can pretty much DM me that has questions, um, and, and so forth. So I'm doors wide open. Uh, that's wonderful. And, uh, as, as Minnie just said, yeah. Um, so I, uh, the, um, uh, being a, an orphan isn't a good thing, is it? Uh, the, uh, they're all Santa. It's a dreadful oh. process to go through. I got something that I that just remind me um, what I was going to say. It's when I was talking about the mentor thing. Some uh, uh, it was actually another advisor's uh, uh, father-in-law who said this, and in, in, in a little session, he goes, "After my mom passed, he goes, just something to know because I, I I actually took care of my parents, not just in passing. Like I was the primary caretaker for like home hospice." Um, like sleeping, you know, on the ground next to my dad, all, all that stuff and, and trying to take care of my mom. Um, but he goes, the moment that you quit helping people is the moment that you kind of lose yourself. And then he also goes, what the, um, that's basically in a nutshell, helping people. Like once you realize that helping people um, is extremely, you know, fulfilling in life, it's like, that's when you figure out the purpose of life. And, um, I've kind of stuck with that in my back of my mind. And I've, I've, there's other things I've, I've, I've done and I've helped people. Uh, I just don't talk about it. Um, but that's been in my mind ever since, uh, 2017. So. Uh, well, I mean, the, uh, you're, you're bringing in a lot of good to a lot of people. I know the feeling I lost my mum. I mean, lost my family a while ago. So yeah, uh, the, uh, helping people, uh, is quite cathartic. Yeah. Good. Uh, right. Uh, with that, um, has anyone else uh, got any more questions? 
No one's putting their hands up. But anyway, George, uh, listen, I've... Oh, George, George. I knew that I was about to tell you this. I just couldn't come up quickly enough. George has a final question, and then we'll move over to have a chat with our colleague in Nukli, who's joined us a few minutes ago. But uh, this has been exceptional. George, please, shoot. Yeah, so uh, I just wanted to ask, so... Um, I, I missed most of the conversation. Sorry, I was I was at work, uh, and uh, you know it, it was kind of hectic, so I couldn't listen in. But uh, are you have you been able to get like discounts through uh, to ship things overseas? Like, uh, are you still looking at companies that, that, that cut you deals or things like that? Like, what is your situation in, in that respect? Yeah, I do have discounts. Um, we can talk offline. I do know that we need to jump to um, someone who's in, in Bakhmut, but um, but yes, I do have. I do get special di- uh, discounts on purchasing, on shipping. Um, it's been cheaper for me to fly with it than ship it because of the weight. Um, gotcha. But we can we can discuss that offline if you would like to DM me on my Twitter. Yeah, because because I'm uh, I I'm taking it you're in a Mar- somewhere in the Maryland area because I, I lived in Maryland for 13 years and oh I'm in Dallas so I'm in oh, Dallas okay Texas. all right yeah all right I thought maybe you're in Maryland okay well yeah I'll, <laughs> I'll DM you later all right excellent thank you thank you thank, thanks for being up here though we appreciate it yeah appreciate it, everyone told you War Center you'll find you'll find this being home. <laughs> appreciate you guys no, seriously uh, whenever you have time and whenever your your schedule allows please uh, feel free to join us and we'll be glad to have you and to talk about both uh, the next trips as well as what you observe and what you hear from your colleagues on, on the ground alright excellent well I'll be in touch everyone very much appreciate it it be wonderful to speak to you everybody give a big hand to War Center make sure that you're because he is making his list, checking it twice, and you have to consider whether you're going to join with the dice.